Uh, Will you turn your Bibles, please, to Luke uh, chapter 17? Luke chapter 17, and we're reading from verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he asked them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming. And you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise, just as it is in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out to Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, um, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. Now, in this section of Luke's gospel, our Lord is teaching about the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God has been defined as God's people living under God's rule and enjoying God's protection. And that's a good definition of the kingdom. But in this section, Jesus wants us to understand that there is a present aspect to the kingdom and a future aspect to the kingdom. What theologians call the now and the not yet. There is the now experience of the kingdom to be enjoyed now, But there is also the not yet, something that's better and more glorious that still is to come. Let me illustrate that for you for a moment. When I first began my ministry some 35 years ago, I met a lovely young Christian girl called Judith, the age of 10. She had been born with spina bifida, and through several complicated operations, she managed to move her maneuver herself about with the use of crutches and a a wheelchair. From the moment I met her, it was obvious that she was a member of the kingdom. She was a citizen of the kingdom because she radiated the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the moment I met her, I knew she was a Christian. Her father told me that one of the most moving experiences of his life was going into her bedroom and finding her Bible open beside her bed at Psalm 139. And when he looked at that psalm, she had entitled the psalm, My Favorite Psalm. And uh, when he looked, the verses were underlined 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed uh, body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And Judas' father sat uh, on her bed and wept as he read those words because by his own confession, she had less questions than him as a member of the kingdom. She bowed to the sovereignty of God and she knew the blessing of the kingdom of God, the peace of God, in spite of her disability. She was a citizen of the kingdom and she knew the blessings of the now of the kingdom. On occasion I was staying at their house and uh, over sandwiches at the end of a very busy day, I asked Judith uh, what she hoped to do in the future. And without a moment's hesitation or a hint of sarcasm, she said, I want to be a ballerina. Well, I nearly choked on my sandwich. And then she smiled, and with a twinkle in her eye, she said, I will dance in heaven. And you know she will. Because, um, as I've said in the past, when the new heavens and the new earth comes, it's a re creation. It's Eden to the tenth degree. It's it's Eden even better. And in that new creation, we'll explore uh, the the uh, intricacies of uh, God's creation. We'll be scientists and botanists uh, plumbing the depths of all God has revealed himself to be in his creation. And if you think of Eden, there was arts before the fall, there will be arts after the fall, and she will dance swan leg in glory. And I tell you, I'll be first in the queue at the Grand Opera House to buy a ticket to watch Judith dance. That's the not yet of the kingdom. There is something more to come. There is the now, and there is the not yet. Now in this passage, Jesus speaks of the now and the not yet. In verses 20 and 21, responding to the Pharisees' question about the kingdom and when it would come, he speaks of the now. And then in verses 22 to 37, speaking to the disciples, he speaks of the not yet. And from these verses, I want you to notice four things. First of all, the presence of the kingdom, the kingdom now. Look at verses 20, 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Here Jesus speaks of the present reality of the kingdom. In answering the Pharisees about the coming of the kingdom, Jesus says three three things. He tells them that the kingdom will be universal. Notice verse 20. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. It's invisible. The authorized version says, the kingdom cometh not with observation. Now that word observation in the in classical Greek was used of those who predicted the future by signs. The New American Standard Version translates it, with signs to be observed. 
The Jewish people lived in a heightened atmosphere of expectancy. They were always trying to discern the signs of the times. They were looking for things that would indicate the coming of the Messiah. But the kingdom of God doesn't come that way, says Jesus. It comes invisibly, imperceptibly. I remember this is the now of the kingdom. The kingdom had come. And the Pharisees were so busy looking for the signs of his coming that they didn't realize that it had already come. Remember earlier, Jesus had said in Luke 20, If I by the finger of God cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come. He sent out the disciples to preach the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom had come. And the Pharisees didn't realize. Secondly, he tells us that the kingdom comes uh, not only invisibly, but universally. Look at verses 20 and 21. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. You see, the Pharisees restricted their view of the kingdom to a physical kingdom in a tiny parcel of land in the Middle East. The kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of God in their minds were synonymous. You could look on a map and you could say, look, there it is, or here it is. No, says Jesus. The kingdom of God isn't like that. It's, it's not geographical or territorial. It's universal. It will include people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So don't look for some political kingdom here and there. Because as he would later say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus tells us that the kingdom is visible. It cannot be observed. It's universal. Uh, You can't say here it is or there it is. And thirdly, he tells us it's spiritual. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. And the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now that word, in the midst of you, is often translated in you or within you. Um, it's used of Jesus when he talks about the, uh, the Pharisees cleaning the outside of the cup, but in the inside it's uh, impure, in, in whatever's in. The reason why scholars translate that in the midst of you is that they, they say Jesus would hardly say to the Pharisees, the kingdom is in you or within you. But you can use that in a a general sense. Jesus speaking, the kingdom of God is not outward and visible. It's inward and spiritual. In other words, the kingdom is now. The kingdom is within you. And because it's a spiritual kingdom, you enter it in a spiritual way. Jesus said to Nicodemus uh, that he must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He says to the chief priests and the elders in Matthew 21, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. And then he tells them why in verse 32, because you did not repent and believe. So you see what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here. It's invisible and spiritual. You enter it when you're born again, when you repent and believe the gospel. That's the now of the kingdom. And the question comes to us then, are we in this kingdom? Or is this kingdom in us? The kingdom is 
within us. Are we born again? Have we repented and believed the gospel? So the kingdom has come, says Jesus. It's invisible, it's universal, and it's spiritual. Then secondly, he speaks about the future of the kingdom. Jesus would have us know that although there is the now to the kingdom, there is also the not yet to the kingdom. There is something uh, more to come. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom will come. There is a future to the kingdom. Notice in verse 22, and he said to his disciples. So this second part, he's addressing to the disciples. The first part, he's answering the Pharisees. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, it's the first part that should be of interest to you. Am I in the kingdom? And then Jesus lifts the eyes of the disciples and he shows them something, tells them something about the kingdom to come. Now concerning this future kingdom, Jesus tells them four things, three things. He tells them, first of all, the church will come or the kingdom will come slowly. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Jesus says to these disciples that in the future you will just long for me to be with you. When you struggle, when you persevere, when you go through difficulties, you will just long for even one day of the Son of Man. And Jesus says to his disciples, it will not happen. You're, you're not going to see it. With all your suffering and all your trials and troubles, the persecution you will face, you will long for a day, one day to see the Son of Man, but you're not going to see it. The kingdom will not come because the kingdom comes slowly and we must wait patiently. Some people say, you know, why doesn't the Lord just come and end all the suffering and wind up the pandemic? Um, why is the Lord so slow in keeping the promise of his coming? Well, Peter tells us why he's so slow. In Second Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why the kingdom hasn't come yet. That's why after 2,000 years, we're still waiting for the coming of the kingdom. God is giving an opportunity for people to repent. Think how arrogant you would be if you said, well, God, I'm saved. You can send the Lord Jesus to return now because I'm in. That's like uh, James and John wanting to call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans. Aren't you glad that the kingdom didn't come before you were converted? I am. I don't want to go to hell. And we must understand that slowness or delay in the coming of the Lord is not slowness as some understand it, but that God is giving people an opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. So the kingdom comes slowly. Secondly, the kingdom comes obviously. Look at verses 23 and 24. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. 
You know the Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted the coming of the Lord in a hundred different dates since their uh, formation. The most significant of those dates are 1914, 1925, and 1975. And when those prophecies were unfulfilled, they got round them by saying the Lord had come secretly and invisibly. Well, not according to Jesus. Because he says there will be nothing secret about his coming. It will be like lightning that flashes, that lights up the sky from one end to the other. So he says to these disciples, don't go running off to investigate every claim that the Son of Man has come. Because when he comes, it will be obvious to all. It will be lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Every eye, as Revelation tells us, every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him. You know, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told that the Lord will come with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. It's audible. It's audible. Well, here Jesus tells us it's visible. In his first coming, he came incognito. Nobody knew that he was there. He he concealed his identity. But when he comes, he will come with all the trappings of glory, divinity, and royalty. And every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him, even those who have pierced him. So the kingdom will come slowly, obviously, And then unexpectedly in verses 26 and and 29. Here in these verses, Jesus speaks of two events, the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, both of these events were the judgments of God. You remember in Genesis 6, the Lord saw the greatness of man's wickedness on the earth. He had become uh, uh, so evil that every inclination of his thoughts was to evil all the time. And God sent the judgment on mankind for that wickedness. The flood was a judgment of God on human wickedness. The same is true of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord rained sulfur on those cities because of the wickedness of those cities. Both the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah speak of judgment. But it's not the judgment nor the sinfulness of man that our Lord focuses on in Uh, Luke 17, but the suddenness of it. Look at verse 27. They were eating and uh, and drinking and marrying and being given uh, uh, in marriage uh, until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Look at verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, Uh, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. In fact, all these things are necessary. Eating, it's not sinful to eat. You need to eat. Drinking, you need an intake of fluid. Marriage, well, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a a great thing. Buying and selling, you've got to make a living. Planting, a farmer needs to plant if he has to uh, reap a harvest. Building, we all need houses and homes to live in. There is nothing inherently sinful about those things. All those things, as Paul says, can be done for the glory of God. The point Jesus is making, and I think this is a crucial point, that no one was expecting the flood or the sulfur shower right up 
to the moment it happened. They were just going about as normal. These events were totally unexpected. The judgment came. And no one expected that judgment but Noah and his family and Lot and his family. And the coming of the kingdom, says Jesus in Matthew 24, will be like that. Because no one knows the day or the hour. And the Son of Man will come at an hour you know not. The people of Noah's day and the people of Lot's day were so preoccupied with everyday life that they forgot or weren't interested in the judgment to come. They weren't expecting it. And Jesus tells that the kingdom will come when people least expect it. You know that uh, there are a lot of people who have great interest in the second coming and speculate as to the time of that coming. When we were in America a number of years ago, I'd gone out to do a wedding. The 2nd of May 2011, a boy, young man from Bethany had gone out uh, to study in Southern Seminary. He was met and married a girl and he settled in America and I was asked to go out to do the wedding. And there was this great hype in the media because someone had predicted that the Lord would come on the 21st of May 2011. And he had taken ads out in the national press uh, and newspapers, billboards all over America. And a man in Pennsylvania had sold his farm to fund this advertising campaign. And it dominated radio and TV for weeks. Well, the 21st of May came and went. And we are still here, and the Christian church is once more ridiculed and marginalized in the press. And none of us should be surprised at that, because Jesus teaches that he will come when people least expect it. It comes uh, uh, when people predict anything. You can be sure of one thing, that it's not going to happen then. Because it's unpredictable. So the kingdom comes slowly, the kingdom comes obviously, the kingdom comes unexpectedly. The presence of the kingdom, the kingdom is here and now, and we can experience its power and presence here and now. The future of the kingdom, there is a not yet to the kingdom. The kingdom has yet to come, uh, but it will come slowly, obviously, and unexpectedly. The third thing I want you to notice is the separation with the kingdom in verses 34 37. Now, when the kingdom comes, Jesus says, there's going to be a separation. He gives the illustration of two people in one bed, a husband and a wife, perhaps two brothers or two sisters. I shared a bed with my brother until I was 16, until he was thrown out of the house, of which I am glad because I had the bed to myself. That was a very selfish thing to think at six, uh, when I was 14. But here we're told that the coming of the kingdom one of those in the bed will be taken and one will be left. Here's another illustration of two women grinding grain together, which again wasn't uncommon in the ancient Near East because it took two people to grind, one to turn the millstone, one to feed in the grain. Again, one is taken and one is left. In both cases, there is a separation. One is taken and one is left. Incidentally, notice that day and night can only happen if the world is round in different parts of the world. Two people in bed, obviously nighttime. Two people grinding grain, well that only happens during the day. 
And so in days when everybody thought the world was flat, nevertheless, the Bible teaches that the world is round because it's the same occasion that these two people, day and night, these four people, day and night, experience um, day and night. Isn't that remarkable? The Bible, even though it was written thousands of years ago, doesn't contradict accepted scientific facts. But the point Jesus is making is that when he comes, there is a separation. One will be taken. Taken where? Into the kingdom. One will be left. Left to what? Well, what were the people of Noah's day left to and the people of Lot's day left to? Left to judgment. Left for judgment. And when the Lord comes, there's going to be a final separation where one group will be taken into the kingdom and one group will be left for destruction. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? And uh, the shepherd, the king, separates the sheep and the goats. The sheep are put to his right, the goats to his left. And then he says to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance in the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And to those on his left, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. The wheat and weeds grow together. But at the end of the age, they're separated, and the weeds are thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You remember the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Five were shut in and five were shut out. Separation, separation, separation. The coming of the kingdom will result in a separation of families. One taken, one left behind in the same bed. Friends, two out working together. One taken and one left behind. Even in congregations, even in this congregation, some taken and some left. The coming of the kingdom will result in a great separation. Not all will be glad to see Jesus return. The separation with the kingdom presence of the kingdom it's here now the future of the kingdom it's still to come there is the not yet the separation with the kingdom when christ comes there will be a separation the last thing i want you to notice is our readiness for the kingdom in verses 31 to 33 there's an expression that sometimes we use home is where the heart is and jesus is telling us that where our home is there our heart will be How do I know how I will fare with uh, the coming of the kingdom when Jesus comes back? Will I be in the kingdom or will I be left for destruction? What's your attitude to this world and the world to come? That's the test, says Jesus. Is it uh, the spiritual? Is the spiritual all important to you? Or are you concerned about the material? Do you think of this world only and the accumulation of this world, the things of this world only, or do you think of the world to come? When the Son of Man is revealed, what will your interest in your possessions be? Or will you be ready? Out in a field, will you want to go back to get what you own? When you're on your roof, 
Will you want to go back down into your house to rescue the things that you have? Now, Jesus isn't saying that it's possible to do those things. In fact, he tells us we won't be able to do those things. But he's saying, look, what is important to you? That's the test. John Blanchard says, a man who is caught up in this world is not ready for the world to come. Are you ready for the world to come? Have you made preparation for the world to come? Jesus, again, in verse 33, repeats this statement that he made earlier. Whoever seeks to uh, preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. If you're concerned only about this life and the things of this life, you're going to lose your life. You're going to miss out on the coming kingdom. But in this life, if you've surrendered your life, if you've given up your life, if you've given your life over to the Lord, you will keep it. That's, that's the point that he's making. Are you living for this world? Or are you living for the world to come? And in verse 32, he gives us a practical illustration. He says, remember Lot's wife. You remember the story? Lot and his family had been brought out of Sodom, hesitating, Hesitatingly and reluctantly, but nevertheless, they came out. But Lot's wife looked back, and the judgment that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah fell on her, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Because she looked back. She looked back longingly. She wanted to be there, wistfully. She remembered what she had, sinfully. Home is where the heart is, and her heart was in Sodom. She had come out of Sodom, but Sodom hadn't yet come out of her. Where is your heart this morning? Is it in the kingdom? Or should I say, in terms of the now of the kingdom, is the kingdom in you? Or is it in this world and the things of this world? Is all that matters to you accumulating the things of this world, the material, at the expense of the spiritual? If that's the case, you're not ready for the coming of the kingdom. Remember in the film Titanic, there was an incident, and I believe it's based on a real story, that one of the ladies who had all her jewellery on board and was taken to to America, um, when she was faced with the the sinking of the Titanic, she left her jewellery and she picked up two oranges to take it on, on board the lifeboat. That the things of this world became insignificant in comparison to preserving her own life. Well, when you start to think about eternity and the coming of the kingdom, all the things of this world peel into utter insignificance. And what's important is the spiritual and the eternal. And to know the blessings of the next world You've got to enjoy the blessings of the kingdom in this world. And Jesus says, repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. Are you ready? Have you surrendered your life in order that you might be prepared for the kingdom to come? And when that kingdom comes, will you join me at the Grand Opera House and buying your ticket to watch Judith dance? In Swan Lake, are you ready for the kingdom to come? Amen.